this is John Fish, and you are listening to In the Tank. Again, I know, you didn't think you were going to, but sometimes dreams come true, so you are welcome. We are back. Mr. Dan Shacky and I kick off the new season, season number five, by getting into the mind of Mike Vecchione. In my opinion, Mike is one of the funniest and hardest-working comics in New York City. He had a killer set on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, he impressed the comic judges on Last Comic Standing, and has his own half-hour Comedy Central special. We sat down in my apartment in Astoria and talked with Mike. So, Mikey, do you have a moment that propelled you into comedy? Um, it, was a, it was an event. Uh, I got dumped. I was living with a woman, and we were engaged, and she dumped me. So I had to move into my own apartment and figure it out, and I, I, I did. I had a DUI also. So these things happened at the same time. DUI, got dumped, kind of like hit a, hit a low. Where were you living at the Philadelphia. time? Philadelphia. I moved out. That's three moved things in, that suck. Moved into my own place. <laughs> and then you know, I started getting my life on track. I started teaching. I had to do a bunch of paperwork to over... I was trying to get a teaching job at the same time I got a DUI, which is you know tough to explain. <laughs> why we should hire you when it's you... like, look, uh, I'm not trying to drive a school bus. I just want <laughs> to teach the kids. <laughs> I mean, I can make it here if that's what you're worried about. Uh, how old were you at the time? I was old. I was in my uh, early... No, it's late 20s. Yeah. So I finally get moved into this uh, one-room apartment, and uh, I get my life together. I get to school. I, they took my license for three months, so I was going to have to walk to work or catch a ride, and I found somebody... With one of the kids? <laughs> found somebody. I jumped the yellow cheese, <laughs> sat in the back, you know, established myself. Uh, no, I found a ride to uh, work every day, and, uh, you know, the past, I got my license back, and then I started, like, drinking during the week, and I'm like, I shouldn't be... It's not like comedy. It's like you have to get up early, and you have to, you know, so there's no reason. To, you're just lonely. <laughs> During the week, it's just kind of sad. <laughs> so I just started going to open mics. And then I was like, there's a tremendous amount of freedom going to open mics because I'm like, even if I bomb, which I was bombing, some people are funny right away. I wasn't. So uh, I just was bombing. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing it. So I never thought I would be doing it because I even a couple years in, I still wasn't getting consistent laughs. And I was like, this is... I have a master's in education. Maybe I'll do uh, trainings and stuff for other teachers, and it'll pay off that way, public speaking-wise. But I don't think I have the laughs per minute to be a comic. And how did you know, though, that you wanted to do comedy? Like, why was this the thing that kind of saved you? Or I've always, you know, I've always, I've been a big fan of comedy, and I've saw, I've seen it. But I was like, ah, there's just no, you know, not that I couldn't do it or figure it out. But uh, there's no stability. Like, I need more stability, man. I need a paycheck. Like, I can't just, I can't do this. There's no stability. But once you get broken down in your life and certain things happen to you that put you in a place where you're like, I just don't, I don't care. I gotta, I'll gotta, figure it out. That's the mindset I had after afterwards. You ever seen that girl again? No, nah, I think she's mad. She's doing well. Yeah. You know. She, I just saw her on uh, Comedy Central Presents. <laughs> Same path. She's actually has a better career than I do. She's doing great. So what were those clubs in Philly that you were going around at? Uh, I did the Laugh House. That's where I started where, um, you know, a bunch of comics came out of Jay and Kurt and Kevin Hart. 
they came out of there, but they were already gone when I started. I started around the time DeRosa started. I started a little bit before him, but DeRosa was funny right away. And uh, he moved to New York about a year before I did. I think Shaggy wants to say he was funny right away, but not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just well, going to do it as yeah. a joke. Just for the I'm joke. Like, I was yeah. like, ah, that's mean. I don't yeah. want to do yeah, it. Yeah. You know, but I could, people might think I'm I could serious. see him like twitching over there. DeRosa uh, has a busy schedule, though. He has like, he co-hosts seven podcasts <laughs> before noon every day. No, it has and nothing to do with DeRosa. A, you could have said anybody. It was just, just funny, it was just yeah. the line. Yeah. That's um, funnier than it's yeah, him, though. It is funnier than it was him because because he'll be like, well, "What's up, guys?" You <laughs> don't think I'm funny? <laughs> then you guys could have a I'm podcast with battle with his podcast. You guys could like, <laughs> you guys can battle rap each other until there's a shooting. So, what was the first club that you broke into to work? Well, the, well, the Laugh House was the, the Helium in Philadelphia wasn't there yet, right? So, the Laugh House was the club. We all started doing Wednesdays. And then uh, Two Ray, who's a very funny comic, who's up here, uh, ran Thursday nights uh, at that time. And then he would like he was like, you know, the guy there. So he would like give us give you stage time on Thursdays if you you know it, as you were getting better, he would give you more stage time. And he was a good guy because he would just ju- he would see how you were working, if you were you know progressing, if you were writing, and then he would give you time according to that. Some where some guys would just put their friends up. But he didn't do that. So, this so is you what, early two thousands. Uh, yeah, I really started uh, October of two thousand. I did an um, open mic before that. Mm-hmm. I did a. I did one. I did it performed like once before that, and then I just in ninety six, and then I never did it again. But I started consistently getting up only at one time a week. But I started doing it in two thousand October of two thousand. So I just kept going, and then uh, you know from there. So you saw these guys that were from Philly that started where you started, Big J. Okerson, Kurt, Kevin Hart. Right. So you kind of had like a model to follow? Well, the thing is, I didn't know those guys as I was, I didn't know them until I was a couple of years in. And Jay would come back and 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 uh, I think he was middling. He would come back to middle. He would headline the Thursday and then middle for the weekend. So I met him that way. Um that was mostly a black club too, right? Yeah. And well, the audience was the thing was the audience was mixed. It was it was it's black owned, and uh, but the audience is mixed, really pretty mixed. So um, it was a good you could judge uh, how your material went over. Um, then I started doing like a little rooms around Philly on the weekends, Spaghetti Warehouse, and uh, any you know anything I could anything I can get to do more time. So. What was your, what's the word, impetus for moving to New York? Well, like I said, uh, what happened was right before, like, actually Joe came back and he had already moved. And I was like, what do you think about, like, me commuting to New York? Can Do guys do that to, like, just kind of get there? Because you don't understand when you're in Philadelphia. And the guys who are there now sometimes, they don't really understand. It's like, I want to go up a couple of nights a week and establish myself in the New York community. It's like, it doesn't work that way because there are guys waiting in lines every single night to get on and they're immersed in it. And you coming up a couple of nights a week, no one's going to know who you are nor care. That's the biggest thing. No one cares who you are. <laughs> Even if you're here for years in the underbelly, no one cares. So that's what they don't understand. They don't understand how little people care. 
They think it's the 80s where you come and you get on stage and somebody says, kid, you got a future. <laughs> and they got a little cigar and then you're in their office the next day and you sign something and then, you know, your life changes. But that's really not the way it works. So, um, I don't know. I lost track of what I was saying. The muffins are so delicious. I lost track. I wasn't going to eat any, but now I'm... Uh, the muffins are delicious. What if I just started eating these and then I just gained 30 pounds? And what if you, you feel just started responsible? punching the muffins? I just... Turn this Just table over it. in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Why, he doesn't pass other people's jokes off as his own? That's what I was trying. Yeah, I thought I we would all get the fact <laughs> as what I was saying uh, was Bill Burr's bit. I know. Um, it's breaking your balls. Uh, we we're Italian. Hey, hey, we're breaking hey, balls. Hey, <laughs> but what, so when did you Oh, decide? I forgot to wish you guys happy Hanukkah. Oh, thanks. This is the last like, day, actually. Is it? Yeah. This is the last day of lighting candles and receiving small gifts. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how I envision Hanukkah. I only know because uh, Shaggy helped me with this too. That I did this list of like Hanukkah things for the Laugh Button website. So every day I get a a tweet that they're saying like, "Hey, it's the fifth day. It's the sixth day. It's a so now I know if it's the last day because of that." Um, but no, what was what? When did you decide to move to New York? Oh, uh, what he that that's the, okay. That's the story. Yeah, he comes back and he's like, I'm like, hey, can I hit it from Philadelphia and drive up a couple of nights a week? He's like, why don't you just move? Why don't you just get your stuff together and move? Once you you've done all you can do with this club, you're I was hosting on the weekends and stuff, and that's as far about as far as you can go. I was hosting. It's like get your stuff and just move, and then figure it out. Just figure it out. So it just it's something clicked when he said it. it. Just made sense to me, and then an opportunity opened up for an apartment that was affordable. And I did it. I, gra- I grabbed everything. I, you know, got out of my lease and I moved, you know, and I had some savings. I cashed in my retirement and I'm um, like, were you, you know, still teaching at the time? though? Yeah, I was I was teaching, but I had left my job. I was like, I was unhappy where I was teaching the situation I was in. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this next year. I have to find either another job. Even if I stay here, I got to find another job. So it's like that fork in the road where it's like, should I stay here and look for another job or should I just take everything and move? So I thought about it for a while. I just took everything and was in a relationship. What didn't have a job? It just seemed like the right, a, a good way to take a calculated risk, you know. Because you're from Youngstown, Ohio, Ohio yeah. and did high school and stuff in Florida. Florida. So you had no. How did you end up in Philly? I moved because well, I met the girl I was with uh, at Penn State, okay. and she was from Philly, so I moved with her. So you had no like familial ties there or anything now my brother had moved there uh after but it, you know had nothing to do with me okay so well, he was close but well, fish you got a word a day calendar or something familial <laughs> impetus uh, <laughs> <laughs> really changing your life here <laughs> all right so you're in new york and new york, uh, i mean i, remember I left before I, I just left one thing out i did uh, tony tina's wedding in south philadelphia oh yeah yeah, so I did that for a couple of years, and there was a nice. While Always I was, wondered while who I was, did that while I was teaching. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was a nice group of like the same type of people, Italians, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we we did it together. So I had a lot of good friends from that, and there was people who, and that's how I moved up here because a girl in the production had a place in New York and needed a roommate, so I moved, and the opportunity opened up. So then I'm in New York and uh, I got to get a job. I got uh, I get a part time job teaching, which was a this is the best job I ever had. It's working with kids from three to five, a couple of hours a day. So I still had the energy to go out and do comedy, and I didn't I didn't have to get up early, and I, it was good money. And I did that for years. 
even past when I had to do it, I still did it for years, kept, kept my overhead low, and that's basically where I'm at now. I mean, I don't work anymore. I'm on the road more now, but as long as you keep your overhead low, that's really the key. As long as you don't have a lot of expenses, then you can kind of, uh, you don't have to take everything that comes out. Or you have to scrap or bother people. You know what I mean? You could just out there every night, and then the work will kind of come to you. You know, well, I don't know. I'm gonna be approaching this thing. No, no. You're, I mean, way, other people. You know? have said, I remember yeah, that really stuck with me a lot. Justin McKinney told me that when I moved here, he was just, just keep it low, just keep, keep the low. overhead low. Yeah. Um, but was I remember this, was when this I, when he had like three deals at the same time. And <laughs> <laughs> just keep the overhead low. But when I first saw you, it was like when you started working the clubs. I guess. Uh, yeah, I asked you one time at the back of the. I'm like, at the back of the Broadway, I was like. How do you how do you structure your day? I remember asking you that. How do you structure your day? You're like, well, I'll get up and right when I get up, like I'll do the business end of it. Like I'll check my calendar. I'll make phone calls. So you lied put to my avails. <laughs> you know, I'll make sure I have work for those weekends or whatever, and then maybe I'll go work out and then I'll come back and then I use that time after that to write and then I'll go out and do spots. And I was like, wow, that makes sense to me. You know, because the you have to, the business end of it is you have to make sure that you always have work. Yeah, but that yeah, that's when I I think you were like doing some hosting at Broadway. Right. When, and I remember telling Shaggy, I was like, Mike Vecchione's really funny, and you said, Shaggy said, Mike Vecchione's been funny for a long time. Oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, what were those years like? Those first few years in New York, like it's it, just it's just getting around, people to um, breaking in, breaking in, getting people. I think like a big thing is like the Boston was around. When I first got here. So it's like, and that was a comic-friendly club. Like, the comics ran the shows during the week, so there's always a chance that you could get up. Now I wasn't very, you know, I didn't know that many people, and but there's always a chance. So I would do an open mic, and Shaki knows, because that's where I met Shaki. I would do an open mic early at what, that Mexican restaurant or that sushi place. Never in a comedy club. It will always be, like, at a sushi place or a bar, um... Or somewhere like that. But it would be, I would go to the ones that were like at 6 or 7 o'clock and I would sign up first so I could go up and do my material and then get out. I wouldn't hang out there because I knew that that wasn't the place to hang out. Then I would go to, the, I'd get a spot first, then I would go to the Boston and see if I get on there. And then I would go to the cellar and hang out. Because, you know. But that was the plan. Get one spot first, and then if you can get additional spots, then that's all the better. And then as you get to know, but it takes it took years and years to yeah. get to know people and get to, you know, the Boston give you a chance because people would come through. The seller guys would come through and like do a spot on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and then you got to you got a chance to figure out who everybody was, where everybody. Was. It's a system. It's a small, you know, where everybody is and. You know, who's on the road, who's got TV stuff, who's respected, who's not respected. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, who's respected by comics and who's yeah. respected by the industry and the, whatever. But a good solid year, year and a half to figure out who everybody is. Well, that's interesting. And not, they they don't that. necessarily know you, but at least you right. know who everybody is. Right. You know, Because I would say, uh, like, Nick Griffin and you have been, like, the most, like, complimented or brought up people on the podcast when we ask like who do you like or who do you like watching or who do you stay in the room for um these days William Stevenson specifically I remember but anyways who are the people that you see that you're like that's how you do stand-up comedy um well Attell David Attell is like the main one he's uh 
he is the he's the best comic I've ever seen. Like it's unbelievable. Like uh, he's I just look at everybody in New York, everybody. You know, we're all comics. We're all you know, and there's guys who are really good, guys who are above me. But he's like on another planet creatively. I think it's just uh, it's unbelievable. And uh, he's brought me into writing stuff with him. And when you write stuff, it's just like you're trying to do the best job you can because you're writing for the best guy. Right. So he's unreal. Bill Burr is unbelievable. Um, just the storytelling and uh, just the organic nature of what he's talking about. But that it's amazing because he'll tell the story and he'll hit very, very hard all the way through the story. So it's really... Uh, Unbelievable. I think Ted is hilarious. Ted's a guy I stay in a room for to watch. Just a great joke writer and just like has a lot of poise on stage and just never really seen him get rattled and just uh, just hits, you know, doesn't doesn't have to. I, uh, s- I saw him the other night at the cellar so where there was like these two like people that if it wasn't the late show, I, I don't know why they were still in there. Like I on any other night, I think they would have just been kicked out. But they were so loud and talking so loud and having nothing to do with the show. And he was just up there just doing his thing, occasionally commenting on it. Just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like <laughs> if he said like something that he could, you know, kind of like people talk as people, people like to talk sometimes. Like in <laughs> sort of gesture towards them. <laughs> didn't, uh, but I love it because he didn't get angry. Nope. He kept in his sane poise yeah. and uh, it's, great. it's great. Yeah. The other good. one is... uh. Patrice is, you know, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, the way he would tell a story and just, uh, just, just communicate his feelings, and then, but just make it hilarious. Did you ever get to work with him? Yeah, I worked with Patrice, and uh, it's it's like, it's the same thing with watching. I tell you, it's like you're watching something great, and you know it, so you really try to appreciate it when you're when it's happening, you know. But the thing, and the thing with Dave though is like, uh. He really took to you, but wasn't he the one person that people said that you sounded like? Yeah, yeah. So you got to be conscious of that. So when 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 people make you aware of that, or you know, sometimes you might not even realize it. Uh, it's obviously a major influence, but you got to like stop watching them. You know, stop watching them, and then just like uh, you know, try to you know get more stage time and stop watching him, so that you can your own voice can come out. You know. People don't say it anymore. No. Uh, and I think from watching like my special, my half hour, spe- like you could see the, I could see the influence, but the ca- the cadence isn't, and I, I don't see that now, like on the stuff I've done on TV, like the, the special, like I haven't, I don't, I don't see that anymore, you know. So it's it's good, it's ha- it's happening, but the the key is to stop stop watching all the time, mm-hmm. like you know, because it's tempting to watch all the time because he's so brilliant. But you got to like stop that. Even now, you know? you're, you're even now you got to be conscious of it. Yeah. You got to stop watching because you don't want to fall into that again. Did he ever say anything if to you? Uh no, no, no. Because he, I mean, he would literally ask. But for the, I'm not the only. There's a, for him. Yeah, there's other guys though too. Who I'm not the only one. There's other guys who have, uh, you know, fallen into that, and. uh you know, it's just a it's just a common because he's so great. You know, yeah. it's a common thing, but you, you just have to be conscious of it and not not watch it anymore. Yeah. So, what was the first New York City club that you stuck got? I we don't do they even use the term past anymore? Not really. I mean, I don't no. think it means anything. It doesn't anymore. mean. It. What was the first club that you just regularly worked at that you were able to put in your veils at, like that you broke into? Not that you would like 
get up at, but like you were. Well, I started working it. at the Boston. The Boston was the first one. I started working at the Boston, and then uh, I would get spots at the Boston when the comics were hosting. Mm-hmm. So I would get spots there. And then uh, Dustin Chafin had the Village Lantern. So I would host at the Village Lantern, uh, which was great because it was two shows, and they were just, he would just keep them running get the crowds in and then just keep them running get as many people on stage as possible he really did a good job with it you know and and really brought me on uh that way and then when he took the boston uh he started booking the boston then i would work both places and he would put me up he would give me stage time and uh but you approach i remember like because you don't host a lot anymore right and uh you don't have a particularly hosty style right but i remember seeing like you doing was like i'm gonna work on my jokes yeah, you know, like a lot of people get scared that they need to bring the next comic right up, and right. I was like, oh yeah, this guy's like using this stage time and working Work on your jokes in between. And the thing about hosting is, and uh, you know, it's it's to like instead of being so immersed in your jokes, like I would have a tendency to get nervous and hide behind my jokes. It forces you to forge a relationship with the crowd. And then if you're going to tell your jokes, you have to work off of that relationship that you forged with them. So you have to be likable but you don't you want to be likable but you don't want to step outside yourself and and uh kowtow to them you know you have to be likable on your own terms and then try your jokes that way and that's something that you've taken with you to your act yeah with the, with the sets it's like uh you know bring them in first get them to like you and then once they're in then you can try the jokes but you have to I have to do that I don't know about other guys like I have to get them establish some kind of relationship with them first tell them who I am and then I can try new material I just can't go up there with blanket new material because I feel like I feel like they're sitting there staring at me going this guy doesn't look funny he he looks like a cop he looks like he thinks he's a tough guy I, I think people are thinking that when they when they're looking at me so a couple of things to counter that, tell some jokes, quick hitters, like off the bat that establishes who I am. And the other thing is take your time and smile. That works better for me to take my time and smile because it relaxes them. And at the same time, you're telling these jokes that open them up a little bit. And then you can kind of do whatever you want. But then it doesn't mean the joke's going to succeed the new material. It means that it's getting a fair chance. You you feel like you're not when you get when you hit the stage that you don't get a fair chance. Well, I mean, I get as fair a chance as anybody else, but I feel like because I have a specific uh, look, we're all judged on first impressions and looks everywhere in life. So I feel when I get up there, I have to I have to tell some jokes about the way that I look, maybe or something personal that makes me vulnerable, so that they can see that I'm not the perceived tough wannabe tough guy that they think that I look like I don't know if that makes sense that makes sense I get I feel like I've worked with you and like been in the back of the room when you go on and heard people in the crowd be like oh he looks like but they do that like right off the bat right where someone like like if Sherrod goes out, people are gonna be like, Oh, this guy looks like it's gonna be fun. Yeah, you know it looks I mean? like, like it's a party, right? It looks like it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Like we're gonna like this guy. <laughs> it looks like it's a party, yeah. <laughs> Sherrod goes out there and he hits so quick and he's so yeah. fast on his feet that it's a that two minutes in it's a party with him and he's like the leader of the party. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I mean I just picked him as an example. But you know what I mean? Right. Like there's yeah. some people have that and then there's some people yeah. you look at and you're like, Ah, this guy doesn't look like a comic to me. And right. it's like 
they may be funny, but they have to win you over. They haven't won you yeah. on the walk out to the yeah. stage. Right. Yeah. Well, some people are like, uh, they see in there, like, oh, you're a comic. Do you talk about your Italian family? Do you talk <laughs> about, huh, being Italian? It's like, not really. I don't know. It's like, or you really, or you look like you would be aggressive with the crowd, like really like in their face, you know, yeah. kind of aggressive. So. Well, you're lucky you're not Jewish. You get, what's your shtick? <laughs> <laughs> what's your shtick? Why don't you get on David Letterman? <laughs> yeah, why don't I, I just Actually, you get... Why are you doing this? <laughs> You're so smart. Why you are could, you doing this? You could have been a pharmacist. Um, well, speaking about your jokes, like if you had to pick one joke that best of yours that best represents you as a comic, what would it be? Uh, this is one uh, that that I wrote a long time ago. It's the uh, it's a teacher joke. It's um, I can't even think it right. <laughs> uh, I taught kids in the city. Let me tell the joke. Yeah, yeah. Kids I with emotional I problems. I taught them biology. Halfway through my first year, I have a student approach me. He says, Mr. Beckham, if you don't pass me in biology, I'm going to stab you in the heart with a pencil. So let me tell you something. If you could bring a pencil to school and then locate my heart, I'm going to pass you in biology. <laughs> so that's the joke. But that's there's like a, like with all jokes, there's a kernel of truth to it because yeah. I did that. But you know, did that scenario happen? No, but it's uh, you know, that's the best representation. Yeah. I think you closed on that for a while, no? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I close, I move it around. Like, yeah. Especially if the crowd doesn't like me, I'll move it up front. Or yeah. if something I tell bombs, then I'll do that to yeah. bring it back. Or if something's too edgy, then you bring that back. They're like, oh, that's a feel-good, great <laughs> one. I love uh, how the feel-good ones, you you almost like you don't want to tell them. But you're like, <laughs> fine. No. It's it's not that I don't want to tell them. It's, just, it's old. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're defeating the purpose of you, what you're trying to do. You're trying to work out new stuff. And then it's like a game with them. You have to keep them like, see, I'm still likable. Huh? Yeah. I'm still yeah. the guy. He's really likable. What was it? It was Bill Hicks that used to do the like one for me, one for you kind of thing. Like one that he right. liked. And he's like, oh, you didn't like that? All right. I'll give tell you does that sometimes yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you tell starting out Mike Vecchione? Like you now, what would you tell the guy that was starting out in Philly? Um, I would, uh, you know, I don't know. I would have done the, uh, I would have done the same. I don't know. See, I, I'm in the middle of it now, so I don't see how it's gonna how it's gonna play out. Like it may play out great, or it may play out in an absolute disaster, or it may play out in just a frustrating minutia of year upon year of struggle and struggle. I don't know how it's gonna play out, but. Uh, the advice I got was good and I would tell anybody like keep your overhead low if you have to take a job take a job that doesn't take much energy and uh, and then just immerse yourself in it because everybody people from there or people who are just starting um, how can I get an agent or how can I it's like even if you get all that it's not going to make you better on stage you know what I mean you have to be better on stage so that when you get an agent and you get those opportunities you're ready for them if you're ready for them before you're prepared if you if you get those opportunities before you're prepared to take advantage of them, it's that's going to be even a bigger disaster. Now, for you, like I notice, just a, like a real strong work ethic, and you're talking about immersing yourself. Like, how do you do those things where you take a break? Like, do you ever? T- I mean, do you I work just seven one, nights a week? Yeah. Well, what I do is I put in for. Uh, well, now I booked the my agent and management book the road stuff or or I'll book like these one-nighters around and then put together your city schedule and then the nights that I'm so paranoid about not having spots because 
like the club spots, like I appreciate them because I remember what it was like when I wanted them and couldn't get them. And I really, I wanted it so bad to work at the clubs that I couldn't get in. So any of the club spots I get, you know, I really appreciate. So, and I try to use them to grow in whatever way, whether it's writing new material or a stage presence or whatever, try to use them and not take them for granted. So if I have holes in my schedule, I'll take, I'll just take the day off. But I don't, I don't purposely say I'm going to take Sunday and Monday off. Especially not Sunday, because Sundays are good shows. A lot of times, like people are out and they're comedy fans who don't come out on the weekends, who come out on Sunday nights. So I won't take nights off on purposefully. I'm not at the point where I feel I can do that. So I won't take them off purposefully. But if I have them off and I need a break, I'll just I won't struggle to get spots to fill it. What do you do? Um, see, I have a problem with that. I have a problem relaxing. So I'm t- I try to do a meditation. Um, I work out. That makes me f- working out in meditation staves off depression. Otherwise, I would be depressed. I would have to be on medication. I think if I didn't do those things. So those things. But as far as hobbies go, I, I really don't have them. So uh, um, you know, I'm trying to look. I I stopped drinking recently. So I don't know if that's going to take. I didn't have a real problem. I wasn't an alcoholic, but it started to be a just a, something I did when I didn't have anything else to do to feel good. So I'm trying to stop that and see if my focus changes and I get more clarity. And it's harder to work out. I'm getting old. It's harder to wake up in the morning. Like it sounds like, uh, it sounds funny, but it is, it's, it is, it's harder to get up in the morning and being hungover is just, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Sounds it's hilarious. Happening. It's really light. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just like, cause you say, like, Oh, you're not that old. It's like, I don't know, man. It, I can feel the difference. Yeah. Between 21 being hungover and 39 oh, being yeah. hungover. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we're the same age. Yeah, I feel it. I'm 30 <laughs> and I feel it. Yeah, but it's I, awful. Somehow well, it gives a little I, bump when you're 30, like in the 20s. Like, yeah. I still felt it in the 20s, but I was like, this is just too much fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in the 30s, you're like, I don't know. This is still good. <laughs> now it's like, I, I'm not even having fun while I'm drinking now. <laughs> somehow I picture Shacky at 15, like, still having trouble getting out of bed oh well i never like getting out of bed yeah. but like in college i could drink like a few nights in a row now if i drink i lose the next day yeah, like until yeah, like four or five yeah. o'clock i can't do anything you lose the entire next day and sometimes i i don't know when i was on the road i got ha- i would get hammered and then you feel sick and you don't it throws your balance way off it's like you got to do shows that night you're like i don't i don't know if i'm gonna make it through these shows <laughs> you know what i mean it's like i'm really a mess well, so what was the first club that you headlined on the road? Well, I headlined uh, the Spaghetti Warehouse in okay. Philadelphia when I was first, when I was just hosting or whatever. They would head, headline me, and I'd do 45 minutes, and I would, I did a bag puppet thing oh, to what? kill time. I put a bag puppet, and I would read a letter to it like it was my girlfriend. Oh, a bad a ba- <laughs> A bag. A bag oh, puppet. Bag? It was a bag yeah. that I cut holes in, and I put a face on, and I put it on the mic stand, and I would <laughs> read a letter, a love letter to it. How long was that? Uh, like five <laughs> minutes or like? Yeah, it was five minutes. But I put together 45 minutes and people, I don't, that's another thing people in Philly are like, when you got that 20 together, when you get that 15 together, are you ready to work the clubs? Like, it's always changing. Yeah. Like the 15 I did in, you know, 2001 is different than the 15 I'm doing now. Yeah. It's funny. Luis Gomez says to me, he goes, I feel like I've had 25 minutes my whole career. Like, right. it never grows. It never grows, like, yeah. Yeah, I got always, more, but then yeah. you're always... You cross out it. that other one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, what was it like 
What's it like when your parents see your show? Uh, it's all good now. It's it all wasn't good. good? Well, they didn't. I didn't develop in Florida. Like they are in Florida, so I didn't develop around them. So they would see me occasionally, but they, you know, I headlined Gotham and they came, or when I go down there to headline, they, they'll come to all the shows. Like, I'll, it'll be like in Gotham, there was like three in a night. They were like, okay, we're going to stay for all. Th-. I'm like, yeah, you already saw it. Like, I don't have that much new. <laughs> I mean, really besides a little crowd it. work, they just stay there. They hunker down and they just, they but love they're it. they're just proud to see you. Yeah, that's like, true. They but they were, I remember, I, I think I, at the Gotham shows that I saw your dad. And your mom at, uh, they were laughing the whole time, but your dad specifically liked the dirtier stuff. Yeah. It was, I remember yeah. like going to look at him on those and he was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were like very supportive as far as me taking off and moving to New York. Cause I had a good teaching job, whatever. At least they thought it was a good job. I didn't really like it, but they, when I told them I was going to move, they were like, you should just go to LA. You should try to get on a show. You could, you know, they don't. You know, they don't really understand how hard it is to get on a show, obviously. But they were like, you should definitely take the chance now while you don't have a family or anything. They're very supportive. And so you mentioned the meditation. Like, what, what, how has that helped you? It helps you, uh, it helps you relax and focus, I think. And uh, it helps your thoughts. Because we have a, t- we have a, I don't know about you guys. I, I suspect it's the same. You have a tendency, no matter how successful you, you become or how good or bad things are going to just kind of spiral into negativity and that it, that kind of refocuses you not to do that it's not about competing with other, oh, this guy how'd this guy get this or how'd that guy get that or what this guy's a hack or that guy's what he's a you know it, it refocuses you just to worry about yourself and try to get as because you what you're doing has nothing to do with what they're doing really so it helps you to refocus and it helps you to you know, calm down a little bit. Refocus some your positive thoughts, I would say. Now you're in like acting classes and yeah. stuff and you write a lot. You mentioned writing for tells shows. Right. Where do you see yourself going? That's the thing. That's what the anxiety's about. I don't know how it's gonna play out. Like I wanna continue to do stand up. We were talking before we went on about moving to LA and my thing would be I would be panicky about not having enough stage time. Because it's been such a big part of my life for years now, that I, and I've been progressively getting better as we all have. So I, to just switch directions like that, for just to switch directions for no reason, you know, is not what I would do. Um, I'm gonna stay the. I hate to sound like a politician. Stay the course. I want to stay the course and then take just take whatever opportunities. So. Stay the course. Keep your costs low. <laughs> take whatever opportunities come my way. But I mean, I look at these shows, some of the shows that I really admire. I'm like, wow, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't know if I would be able to do that. It would be interesting to see. To act on or to write for? Either or. Both. I mean, acting, I think, would be a little bit you know, easier. Not auditioning because I stink at auditioning, but getting into the character and all that. I think you should meditate on that. Meditate on it. But, uh, yeah, that's a negative thought. I'm sorry about that. Sorry, universe. Need to look at uh, John's pictures of pretty things on the wall. What is that? The beach and uh, what else you got back there? But writing writing about, like, when I see a well-written show, I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing that, that... that that played out that way, like uh, the wire. I don't know if you watched the wire. I was talking to no, um, I haven't. And watching us talking to Soder about it before we left. It's like 
the way it was written was just like um, it's amazing. It was very well written. So I'm into Breaking Bad right now. Oh, I heard that's deep great. In it. Yeah. It's John's first man show. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he'll get to yeah. the wire. Are you a Kardashian guy? <laughs> no, I'm not that bad. Um, Cougar Town. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could write for a show, what show would you find yourself fitting into right now? I, I just it's not that I I'm looking uh, at at specific shows being like wow it would be great to write for them. It's just I see show, like the like the way the wire is written. I'm like that took a lot of thought and it was very precise and there's layers to it. I'm like that's that's not something you can just come up with or that's not just a uh, not that it's bad you know a sitcom or whatever but it's not just somebody yelling where's the remote and then a laugh track you know what I mean it's very very <laughs> in depth uh, so I admire that but would you write for some of the late night shows yeah I would do that if, like if that? the opportunity presented itself but, but uh, you're not actively seeking I'm not actively seeking but I would do you know I would uh, not audition what do you call it? I would submit a writing yeah. sample and then see how it played out but um, I'm afraid to lose uh, too much stand-up time. Well, there are guys who do both or have done both, but I feel like you don't do it forever. Like either they leave the shows, right, right, or, or they you get to see them for a few weeks and then they disappear for a month. Right, it's hard. It it's busy. a full-time yeah. job. It's a full-time yeah. job, man. But at least it's not the full-time job where it's got nothing to do with comedy. Right, you're still being funny, writing funny things, and you're around other funny people and comedians. You know, yeah. I mean, probably like a lower like sexual harassment policy in the office, like a regular <laughs> office. You can't get away with more <laughs> with your coworkers. No, but those guys do that. They they write for t- they get experience writing for TV. But again, the thing is, is like, don't get too addicted to that money. Cause sometimes the money can be really good, and then you change your lifestyle, and then you're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go back to doing this, and it's like, all right, am I going to be able to sustain my lifestyle? And it may not be uh, things that pull you off. Anything can pull. There's this host of things that can pull you off. It's that drugs and alcohol can pull you off. You know, um, a job that is takes too much of your focus. A woman <laughs> who wants to control what you do and doesn't get it. You know, you need to talk so, about something. No, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm in a good situation that way. I'm actually very fortunate that way. I know. You were but, telling um, me this once before. That's like any number of things. Can any make number of things. And they don't have to be bad things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be bad things. It could be anything. Like, But if you let it, if you put, if you don't allow yourself to focus on what you have to focus on, it takes you, it takes you away for, from it. What have been uh, two career highlights from Mike? The Tonight Show is definitely one. Uh, it was unreal. And I was really happy with the set, and I'm very hypercritical myself. So uh, I was happy with the Tonight Show. And that did that relationship start with those guys because they also uh, are involved with Last Comic Standing? No, no, it was totally Last separate. Comic Standing. They, I did two jokes. They passed on me immediately. I didn't make it. I didn't make it. That was a year you advanced, right? I think. I think that was your year. I don't remember. My oh, they, the year that you were involved, they weren't. No, they were not uh, involved that okay. year. They had seen me. They saw me on a showcase. Okay. I did well on a Gotham showcase. And then they followed up and you know, we went back and forth. And now we're doing it and trying to get another one together. What was that process like as far as getting, you say, back and forth? Like it was, Yeah, them. it was good because they uh, they were very, like, they liked all my jokes. And they're like, we just got to get the time right. And, um, you know, but all the jokes are good. 
And I'm like, there's no problem with any of the anything. Because I think I said whore or something on one of the jokes. I'm like, there's no problem with that. He's like, no, there's no problem with it at all. So, so just just getting just get it together and communicate that to them, and then when something opens up, we'll get you on. That's and good. Did. So you were able to like find the flow that you wanted and pick the jokes. Right. Of. It's about yeah. It's about getting the jokes and then uh, you know starting off getting a laugh, and then once you like those late nights, watch you're real nervous before you go on. So it's like getting them is the key with the first two jokes mm-hmm. or three, and then the rest of it is just fun. But it's the first two or three to to get the crowd. But, you know, you got to make sure it's all, and in my view, you got to make sure it's all strong jokes that you can stand behind, you know. I think we've all heard, like, the Seinfeld interview where he says that he was, he did, like, the set that he was going to do for his first Tonight Show, like, 500 times oh, or yeah. something like that. Right. Like, how how many times did you? Actually, Jessica it's a Kirsten. more wham-bam. Jessica Kirsten did it right before I did it, and... um and she, I talked to her and she helped me out a lot because she told me what to expect as far as in the Tonight Show there's no microphone to hold and that can be awkward. Um, so I would run the set without the microphone, like I would with my hands down at my sides with the microphone in the um, holder. And uh, just about like, and they went over this with me, but it's like when they go over it with you, it's right before you do it. Right. So you can start thinking about it she told me um weeks before so i could start thinking about it coming over to the couch shaking jay's hand and then if there's time before commercial the banter that goes on like he'll ask you questions and you can't you have to be able to answer them and not freeze did you have banter time no we didn't have time okay and then there's the other thing of when you're out there and then you know you're not you're preparing your set you have a certain time, like if it's five minutes, you get four and a half because you have to take into account laughter and applause breaks. So, um, but they tell you, like when they tell you to wrap it up, when the guy gives you the sign to wrap it up, you got to start wrapping it up or they're going to have to cut it. Mm. So you're under time constraints there too, but then your Did head. Yours you, fit? Yeah, mine fit. Mine fit. So that was one of the, it was great. Oh, what a great experience. I talked to Leno and the Leno, like I was doing the run through, he was so, went out of his way to really talk to me and he was really really very nice we were going through the run through he's like why don't you come back to the desk I come back to the desk he's like do you want to call your family I said yeah so <laughs> off the, on the tonight show me? phone I'm like does the tonight <laughs> show <laughs> they hold you hostage yeah that's weird <laughs> it was amongst the Italians it was real greaseball shit he calls me back I'm like the, I don't even know the phone really worked on the yeah. tonight show on the desk but it does I gave him the phone number, my parents' phone number, and my father answered, and I said, hey, somebody wants to talk to you. I put Leno on the phone. They talked for like five minutes. That's of course, so cool. my father invites him to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. He's like, when you're in town, you come over. You have dinner. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was a really nice gesture. That's great. Another career highlight? Um, I don't know. I The half-hour special was really something... Uh, I really prepared hard for it, um, you know. So that was a big deal. Last Comic Standing was was a big deal because Last Comic Standing was a big deal because if you screw up, it's like they'll kind of use that. You have to make sure you nail it because yeah. if you screw up, that's what they're in there for to be like, ah, so you're not good enough. <laughs> Go back to shining shoes. Like they're, you know, it's a reality show, yeah. so they're they're prepared that if you. Something yeah. you know, whatever. And but I, you were on the year with Greg 
Andy yeah. and Natasha. Right, and they were it was all a little like, less so like that. Yeah. It was all about stand up, right? Yeah. It was all about stand up. And in fact, were... Natasha, like, which was rare for the show, I mean, I don't think I saw everyone, but she, like, singled out the fact that she had seen you, like, I think at, at the, the cellar. cellar. Yeah, she did. And was like, we all were really liking you. Yeah, and yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. It was cool that way. They're like comics, so they, um, there wasn't any of this from other years where they're like, no, you're not. You know what I mean? <laughs> they were all comics and they're in the scenes so and they know what's, what's going on. Right. And the other highlight, anything like, uh, like a tell brings me into writing stuff. That's very like, uh, it's really like something to write or be brought into any project. The fact that he even thinks of me for any of that is, uh, is pretty cool. I got to say. So did you help out on that? This, uh, latest project, the, the show on, is it showtime? The, <laughs> the showtime days old porn. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it was me, Kurt and Louie Katz. And how's that being received? It's out now. Yeah, right? it's great. Man. Yeah. They just had the rap party for it. So, um, yeah, it's doing well. It's doing great. You guys and wrote uh, for it or you just gave him some of your old videos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it's getting good. It's getting really good ratings. Anything he's on like, uh, yeah. is, is going to be good because he's just so, he's so fucking funny. Yeah. He what? did panel on the Tonight Show, like to promote the that. Once. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And he I was talking that. to one, it was like one of the girls from Twilight who's also just sitting there, and he keeps like interacting with her too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we like to end the podcast with this question: What joke or bit of someone else's do you wish you had written? Um, I gotta say, I was just talking about this uh, with somebody, uh, uh, Richard Jenny. I was a big Richard Jenny fan growing up. And uh, I just love his thing about uh, one. He has a couple of bits that I really like a lot. One was the the Jaws. Like he's so bored, he's sitting there watching Jaws, and it just the stupid reality of Jaws. It's like um, the mother, the mother had a, the shark kill her family. It's like Jaws. He's talking about like Jaws two or three, which I didn't see. Like the Jaws, Jaws like rips up her family, and she's like the mother, a genius in her own right, because the <laughs> shark is obviously after our family. Guess I'll have to leave town, and he's sitting on the bed going, "Leave town? Isn't that a bit severe? I mean, wouldn't an apartment building protect you from the average fish?" I mean, <laughs> he's, like, he's talking like that, and he's like, he goes through the whole thing, and uh, and he's like, at the end of the movie, she moves to Hawaii to avoid a shark. Who would have thought? It's like, why wouldn't you go to Antarctica? It's like, no, the movie smacks you in the face with how stupid it is. <laughs> so he, like, she flies to Hawaii. The shark has beat the jet to Hawaii. He's there waiting for him. And it's like, wouldn't a, sh- wouldn't a jet be faster than a shark would be? It's like, no. See, in a stupid movie like this, <laughs> shark is the fastest form of transportation. Uh, and then the other one he has is, um, which I can relate to because my father was the same way, is uh, my father knew everything that ever happened in history. Like, you'll be like, okay, Dad, I got to get out of here. It's getting a little hot in here. Hot! You don't know what it is to be hot. <laughs> when I was young, we used to melt right in the house. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, Dad, what kind of work will I do when I was older? Ah, you work. You, Richard, you never worked in your life. I was a coal miner when I was four weeks old. <laughs> you were a coal miner, Dad? I was a shovel. I couldn't get a job as a miner. Six weeks old. Did you ever get to see him live? No, I never got to see him live. But that that's... Me and my family, I was like on the floor, and I just was going through the like, I, like I was going through the bit. Um, I was, uh, you know, talking to Linda from the cellar, and I was going through it. I'm like, I can't believe I remember. I can't believe I remember all of it because it was slowly coming back to me. I'm like it was so funny. We were just, I was dying. I, I remember like 
starting to see headliners and stuff and like like who would want to do an hour like you know don't they just want you to do 45 wouldn't you want to just get off after 45 minutes and then i saw him and he did like an hour and 10 or something and just killed the whole time like oh this guy needs to do when it's beyond like just trying to meet the time exactly it was just like yeah it was amazing he's unbelievable but that was the first you know, him and Dom Irera, when I was growing up, Dom Irera was uh, really funny. But uh, that Richard Jenny stuff was, uh, was killing me. Cool. Because my father would do that. He, he would do that same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. Like, you know, you, you, you just anything you had is better. It's worse. <laughs> it was harder. It was better. Anything you just would top you. You know, you have no idea what it's like. Any website you want people to look at? Uh, MikeVecchione.com. You're going to have to spell that for the people. M-I-K-E. Not that part. <laughs> v. It's all one word. M-I-K-E-V-E-C-C-H-I-O-N-E.com. Shaggy? Uh, I'd like you to check out MikeVecchione.com, too. I don't know. I don't have a website. What are you talking about? I don't know. You have anything? You can to see say? me and Mike in uh, in Montreal. Montreal. Canada. Me and Shaggy oh, are still in it. January. What's up? So hopefully this will be out by the last weekend of January. <laughs> Gives us a month. <laughs> All right, let's finish these muffins. All Nothing right. for you, John. You don't have any. Uh, ah, I quit. Christmas things <laughs> to promote. <laughs> this I can't believe I'm the first show off hiatus. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Are you really guys started off with a poof? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing it. Nothing to do with the proximity to where we live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, story of Queens. What's up? <laughs>